Hello and welcome to Top in Tech. My name's Conan Darcy. I'm the Senior Practice Director for Tech, Media and Telecoms at Global Council, and I'm your host for today. I'm delighted to introduce you today to two great colleagues who are going to take us through the issues that they see in front of us for the tech sector, both in the UK and the US. First, I'd like to introduce Ogomba Wankwo, who is a senior associate in our US office. Ogomba leads our analysis of all things US tech policy. I'm also thrilled to have on the line Josh Bates. Josh is an associate in our London office. Josh covers a whole range of issues in UK and European tech policy. So what we're going to do today is focus on political change and how political change affects tech regulation and tech policy. So Agomma is going to take us through what's happening in the US. The midterm elections are looming. On the 8th of November, we will see votes in the US. What will that do to tech regulation? Will things change? And does that mean that we're going to see a rush to legislate before those votes take place? Josh, on the other hand, is going to take us through what's going on in the UK right now. We're down to two, two candidates to be the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. What, if anything, will they change about the priorities of this government towards tech regulation? So let's get started then. Um, Gomma, if I could start with you and if we could go into detail about what is going on in the US ahead of the midterms. As far as I understand it, looking across the pond, it sounds to me like the Biden administration could be facing a pretty bad result later this year. And therefore, the prospect of a very different second half of its term if it loses majority in one or both of the houses. So assuming that you agree with that sort of overarching political analysis, I guess the onus now will turn to how do you get legislation passed and what legislation do you get passed before those elections take place and they change the legislative dynamics in Washington? So can I ask you just first up, what, if anything, do you expect to pass in Congress before the midterms in November? It's looking increasingly likely that the bill that is most likely to pass ahead of the fall midterms is a version of the original Chips for America Act. And this new version is being called the Chips Plus Act. This is essentially a bill to keep U.S. semiconductor production competitive against China, you know, to ease supply chain disruptions and to really bolster national security. So for folks at home, semiconductors are an essential part of our electronic devices. So think of it as the building block of all things electronic. Your phone, your Wi-Fi router, your laptop are all reliant on these very tiny chips. But in recent years, there has been a semiconductor shortage, which has resulted in significant supply chain disruptions. So one aspect of the proposed bill sets aside $52 billion in chip subsidies and incentives for domestic semiconductor production. But it's increasingly looking likely that another aspect of the bill will provide billions more in funding for the National Science Foundation and for high-tech research and development. And this is really incredible because initially... It seemed like the only version of the CHIPS Plus Act that 
Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer would be able to get across the finish line were subsidies for semiconductor production due to concerns among Republicans about Democrats attempting to move forward with a massive social spending legislative package in the Senate and having it pass with only Democratic votes in a process known as budget reconciliation. But that massive package has been scaled down quite a bit. And it turns out that many Republicans also want funding for tech research and development. So the bottom line really is that this bill has bipartisan support and is expected to pass in the Senate. And it's looking very likely that the bill will pass both houses of Congress before everyone leaves for August recess. So it's interesting. In in some ways, this is a rebuke to those in Europe and elsewhere who look at the states and say the the partisanship in Washington makes it impossible to pass anything. Clearly, that's not the case. But maybe that is only the case in limited uh, circumstances. So when there is an industrial strategy angle, an angle that is about competition with China, the US's uh, main global rival, we can see both sides coming together. How about we talk about something quickly where I'm not sure whether both sides do come together. And this is that sort of long aching discussion that we have about federal privacy law that just sort of always seems to be there, never quite seems to pop up fully, but also never seems to quite go away. I mean, the perception from this side of the Atlantic is that a GDPR-style piece of legislation in the US, at a federal level at least, is pretty unlikely. Uh, I'd just like to get your view, is that right? And what does the recent decision concerning Roe versus Wade have on this debate, given there are a multitude of privacy implications regarding uh, healthcare? That's a fair assessment, given how long it's taken the US to get to this point. But now we do have the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, which is making its way through Congress. So the bill was introduced in June and really aims to set a standard for how companies collect, process, use, and share the data of Americans. And this bill would also serve to really empower Americans by giving them more control over their personal information online. As to whether this bill will pass is a more complex answer. So on one hand, this is the closest we have gone to a comprehensive federal privacy bill in the U.S. Um, And the bill has a lot of momentum and support from both Republicans and Democrats. But There are key players who have their reservations about provisions in the bill, such as the private right of action and state preemption. Since being introduced in the House, the bill has been amended in hopes of reconciling some of these differences. Now, the overturning of Roe versus Wade triggered concerns about the impact that it would have about on the data privacy of women who have abortions while living in states that ban abortions. But I don't really see that it's shifted the privacy debate in a major way. I think if anything, it's just made the privacy conversation a bit more focused on health and location data in particular. So for example, Senator Elizabeth Warren introduced a bill in anticipation of Roe versus Wade being overturned that will essentially prevent data brokers from selling health and location data. Now, as for the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, 
we have not seen major shifts among lawmakers in who supports or opposes the bill, despite the fact that women's health information is essentially a subset of the bill's covered data and would really be you know, subject to additional protections because it is classified as sensitive data. So taken together then, federal privacy law is perhaps closer than it ever has been, but there's still major doubts about it actually entering the statute, but becoming law in the US. Roe versus Wade is obviously playing into this, but it doesn't look like it, it's shifting. And I also wonder whether actually it, it makes it a little bit more of a fractious issue than perhaps it was a few months back. But if we, if we continue that thread of other jurisdictions around the world, whether that's in Europe, that's the UK, whether that's even China, where they are agreeing rules for their domestic markets, but also looking to export them globally, privacy and cybersecurity being obvious uh, examples. There's also the example of how do you apply competition and antitrust rules to the tech sector where traditional mechanisms have been seen as basically inadequate and too slow to deal with the challenges that the sector presents. So let's dig into that. The EU has its Digital Markets Act, and I understand in the US we have legislation coming forward called the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. And that has some elements of what we've seen in the Digital Markets Act, not necessarily all of them, but similarities. Can you just talk through listeners about how that bill is looking? Uh, is there a chance that it could become law? Yeah, so this is a very interesting bill. And to probably no one's surprise, has received significant pushback from tech giants and their lobbyists. So the legislation's core idea is that very large platforms that are designated to be covered platforms, I believe the Digital Markets Act calls them gatekeepers, shouldn't be allowed to give preference to their own products on the platform. So for example, Amazon wouldn't be able to you know, give its in-house branded product a leg up over other brands when you and I are shopping on the website. The bill still faces significant hurdles and likely won't pass unless modifications are made. So back in January, the Senate Judiciary Committee passed the bill with a vote of 16 to 6. All the Democrats voted for the bill while the Republicans were split. However, several members from both parties have expressed significant concerns about the bill and explicitly called for it to be amended moving forward. Probably, you know, most notably are Senators Dianne Feinstein and Alex Padilla, both California Democrats. They have reservations about the effect that this bill would have on companies and consumers in their home state. But also, it seems a bit challenging for some lawmakers to justify a bill that regulates the behavior of only a handful of companies, even though other companies may be engaging in similar practices, yet they won't meet the threshold for this bill to apply to them. There are also concerns around national security, with some lawmakers worrying that it could benefit the global rivals of these tech companies. And of course, China comes to mind. So although the bill has both the Democrat and Republican sponsors and consumer advocacy groups support it, there are still significant concerns that make its passage in its current form very unlikely. It's interesting. It, there's a thread that recurs on these discussions that we have on the podcast, which is that nationality matters when it comes to tech regulation. And I think you've, you've, you've hinted at it there, Agonma. In Europe, 
these types of arguments can gain traction because the companies that are being targeted, by and large, aren't European. In the US, however, clearly there's less appetite for that, particularly when set against uh, the competition that those companies are facing and the inbuilt advantage the US already has through having these and hosting these companies uh, vis-a-vis China. So I'd like to bring Josh in here. Josh, let's talk about the UK. And the UK, clearly, if it's going to bring in a similar regime, has similarities with Europe here. Most of these companies, if not all of them, that the UK might look to regulate aren't British. Indeed, they're not European. They'll be American. And if they're not American, they're probably Chinese. So we had the thing that's quite similarly named to the Digital Markets Act in Europe. It's the Digital Markets Unit in the UK. Same, but but different. Um, and it did appear at one point that the UK and the EU were in lockstep here, uh, that both would broadly come in roughly around the same time. Um, however, not long ago, the government uh, put this on the back burner. Do you see any chance that the Digital Markets Unit and these rules for gatekeepers, as Agonma coined it, are going to come into back into life pretty anytime soon, or are they still going to remain in the deep freeze? Hi, Colin. So yeah, in the UK, we have the Digital Markets Unit, or DMU, as you'll hear most people call it, because we do love an acronym in tech. And this would essentially look to give the Competitions Market Authority, the competition regulator in the UK, a specific unit or division that would just be focused on competition within the digital and tech sector. So they'd be focused on things that they believe stifle innovation or interoperability. So we all know that when we get a new phone from a different uh, provider or we get a different laptop to the one that we've had before, it can be quite difficult to import old information, contacts, perhaps there's barriers sometimes for that. And they'd be looking to combat some of these so that it's easier to for, for consumers to pick whatever um, item or business works best for them and to allow smaller startups and new entrants to really sort of compete within this market. Now, this unit has been spoken about for over three years now, and it's actually been in a shadow form, which is a particularly great name, uh, for the last year. And that's essentially meant that whilst it can gather information, it can begin to sort of assess the the tech sector, it can't really act as it needs statutory powers from Parliament. So we've been expecting a bill for some time now that would give the DMU the powers that it needs to act on these issues. But there was a lot of concern from ministers, especially we heard from Rhys Mogg, that the bill wasn't in its the right place right now, that it could be a over-regulation of the tech sector and could sort of damage what the UK sees as a really growing and important sector for its economy. Uh, there was a lot of criticism from Parliament and Terrings hasn't been brought forward. And whilst we expected a draft bill of what this could look like in the autumn, there were real sort of question marks when obviously Boris Johnson lost his job on prime ministers. We didn't know what the priorities of his successor would be. And what we've seen quite recently actually is Rishi Sunak coming out very much in favour of the Digital Markets Unit. He wrote a letter to the News Media Association saying that this was something that he really fought for as Chancellor. And as Prime Minister, he would really make a priority. So again, we'd expect him to bring forward uh, some form of legislation. Again, this could be in a draft form or even something more finalised within the autumn. We've had no word from Truss yet, but obviously you'd expect to respond at some point to his policy. And whilst they've been sort of aligned on a lot of issues recently, this could be one of those that she sees as a overstep, as something that just goes too far in her free marketeer approach. And so perhaps you won't be as closely in favour, but it'll be very interesting to watch over the coming months whether 
this issue of digital competition becomes something that's more important or whether it is something again which gets delayed much to the frustration of a lot of stakeholders in this sector. Yeah, it, it's a it's a funny issue, isn't it? On the one hand, it's deeply, deeply political how to tame big tech and how to reassert the primacy of sovereign governments in deciding key elements around the economy and how society function. On the other hand, when you start talking about self-preferencing, ex-ante regulation and gatekeepers, you can almost see voters switching off instantly. So it's both highly technocratic and highly political. Agomma, let's just finish off on the political change that we think we're going to see um, in the US. And I think w- what's interesting is that we've, I suppose the conclusion that we've come to on the legislative side is that the changes at midterm will probably mean that legislative reform in the tech sector will become more difficult. There's probably going to be a sort of more stagnant uh, scene uh, in DC than perhaps there's been for the last 18 months. Traditionally, we have seen in these circumstances where the administration struggles to get things done in Congress, they often lean heavily on regulatory authorities to try and achieve policy goals through a different means. However, we had the Supreme Court ruling recently on the EPA, uh, the regulator uh, dealing with environmental protection in the US. Um, And its implication was that the scope for regulators to act independently could be curtailed. And I know you're writing a blog on this very top topic, so I'd like to get your, your take on this. Are we seeing now not only the legislative side being shut down uh, for the Biden administration, but potentially also the regulatory side being shut down and therefore pretty much nothing likely to happen in the US over the next few years on US tech reform? Yes, yeah, so that's exactly what it's looking like. The Supreme Court's EPA ruling may actually serve to discourage the Federal Communications Commission and the Federal Trade Commission from aggressively pushing for innovative policies and regulations on politically charged matters and problems that really impacts the nation. So in the ruling, the Supreme Court invoked the major questions doctrine, which essentially is stating that if an agency wants to make rules on an issue of major or political significance, its action must have clear congressional authorization. And that sounds fine in theory until you realize that the Supreme Court's decision didn't lay out a clear test for when the major questions doctrine should be invoked, you know, raising the risk that it'll be used in simple matters of political and ideological differences. So, for example... Questions such as what is the threshold of economic significance haven't really been answered. So these are very uncertain times for federal agencies. And in many ways, the Supreme Court's ruling serves as a tipping point because it's the first time the major questions doctrine has been invoked in a majority opinion. And to pile onto that, there is a growing trend in the U.S., particularly among conservatives who are scaling down the administrative state by addressing the structures and powers of agencies. So technology and telecom regulators are going to have to decide if they want to forge ahead with the rulemaking process for competition, privacy, and so on, or whether they should you know, take a cautionary approach to avoid years of litigation. So all in all, things are about to get a lot more difficult for the Biden administration. Last year, 
Biden actually issued an executive order on promoting competition. And in it, he tasked the FTC with really taking up the tech regulation mantle as it relates to antitrust laws, consumer privacy, and unfair competition in internet uh, marketplaces. But now with concerns circulating about whether the commission even has the congressional authority to regulate whole sectors and practices, this significantly slows down Biden's agenda for the tech sector. Thanks, Goma. So we're potentially seeing a slowing both in legislative reform and regulatory reform in the US. I think it's interesting the point you made there about the the sort of legal chilling effect that the ruling might have. We know from other jurisdictions as well, like uh, DG Comp in Europe, after they lost certain cases in the ECJ uh, related to tax cases, uh, it, it has a chilling effect about the confidence of regulatory authorities to take forward cases. And as much as they're independent and they're essentially technocratic, the heads of these regulatory bodies do not like losing big cases. That is their reputation, the reputation of that regulator on the line. So it could have quite a dramatic effect. But anyway, let's move uh, back to the UK. We've just had a bit of a flavour of it when we were talking there about the Digital Markets Unit. But for those who are less well acquainted uh, with the UK, we're now in a situation where Boris Johnson, the serving Prime Minister, has been forced to announce his uh, resignation. Uh, It's a long story, so I won't give you the reasons why here, but uh, there's plenty of coverage out there uh, on the Global Council uh, website and lots of events we're running. So please check those out for why uh, the Johnston government is soon to be coming to an end. And we have this uh, curious process whereby uh, at first there's a competition between uh, candidates to become the next prime minister between MPs in parliament, conservative MPs. And that uh, has recently concluded. We've been left with uh, two uh, candidates. One is Rishi Sunak. He's the former chancellor in the UK and a high-profile politician uh, in in the UK. And then we have Liz Truss, who is the current serving uh, foreign secretary, again, a relatively uh, high-profile figure and also of interest for those uh, on the US side of things, a very renowned uh, pro-American. Josh, we've got these two candidates. One of them will be appointed through a vote of Conservative Party members at the start of September to be the next prime minister. There won't be a general election. It'll be a vote of Conservative Party members. So one of them will happen. What do you think this means more broadly for UK tech policy. Can you just paint a quick picture of both uh, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak and their approach to policy issues and how that might shape their views and their approaches to the tech sector? Sure. So I think my sort of big takeaway for anybody who sort of works in tech or leads a tech company is that you're quite content now with who these two candidates are. Now that they've whittled down the the other people who put their names forward for the conservative leadership, there were some ideas thrown around in the uh, early stages by Penny Morden, who very narrowly lost um, lost out on being one of these two final candidates, who was sort of very pro the online safety bill, very pro sort of digital regulation, looking to bring in some quite sort of more stricter measures. You had the likes of Nadim Zahawi, who was talking about even a global digital um, rules and competitions against sort of like these quite big and uh, in some cases quite restrictive ideas. But with Liz Truss, with Rishi Sunak, what you have is two both sort of quite prominent and key supporters of tech 
more in general. They're both free marketeers. They're both quite uh, cautious about over-regulating uh, sectors, both tech and more widely. And so I think you'd be quite, pretty content with these two, uh, either one of them actually becoming the next prime minister. In Rishi Sunak, for instance, you have somebody who's uh, been across to the US quite a few times. He's even got a green card uh, and he was even noted to have been in California meeting tech companies whilst there was the, uh, a bit of a crisis going on in the, uh, for Boris Johnson in the UK last year. And he's having spoken to people within the sector, he is very pro startup and pro innovation. And so you could definitely see him as somebody who's willing to invest in the tech sector in the UK. Uh, similarly, with Liz Truss, you have somebody who wants to uh, reduce taxes almost across the board. Uh, she's very um, expressed a lot of concern about uh, the tech sector being overregulated. She's made speeches effectively praising companies like Deliveroo and Uber before, and she is also sort of quite pro-American, pro-big tech. So, I think what you'll see is two candidates who will quite happily speak about the benefits of tech. But I think we still have to wait and see what comes out in the next few months, where they stand on a lot of these issues. Uh, because up until now, tech really hasn't been a point of discussion in a lot of these debates because the wider political context of the issues of the Johnson government and the uh, rising inflation and wider economic crisis has really sort of dominated the hustings and the debates up until now. So it'll be really interesting to see where these two come out on the different sort of issues affecting the tech sector. Thanks, Josh. Under the Johnson government, it was interesting to note that there was a sort of contradiction at the heart of their, their tech policy. On, on the one hand, you had lots of warm words about global Britain and about making sure that the UK and London in particular became tech and AI hubs globally, and that we attracted the best talent and the best companies uh, to the UK. However, if you speak to people in industry here, they will often complain that the actions of the government were substantially less tech-friendly than perhaps the rhetoric suggested. Let's leave aside whether that assessment is fair, but if we focus in on one of the major complaints from the sector, and that is the online safety bill, you mentioned it before, could you just remind listeners very quickly, what is the online safety? What is, what is it trying to do? But also, what do you think a Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss-led government might do with the online safety bill? Sure. So the online safety bill has been one of the biggest issues, if not the biggest issue at the moment in tech in the UK. And it's been talked about in Parliament for many years. Uh, there's been white papers, there's been draft bills, there was pre-legislative scrutiny. And what this bill effectively looks to do is regulate the uh, social media, the online world, how we communicate with one another. So Ofcom, who currently are the regulator, the Office of Communications, so all your typical uh, TV, radio, um, mobile uh, like phone connections, they regulate that. And what this bill would do is give them the power to regulate um, social media, anywhere in which people can sort of communicate with one another online. So this is affecting a massive range of companies, whether that's your sort of big social media giants such as Twitter, Facebook, down to sort of more niche uses in video games and communications, uh, apps such like Discord or um, Twitch. And so it, it has a huge amount of scope and has gone through a lot of different changes in Parliament and as it sort of progressed. And we thought we'd actually be getting to the sort of conclusion of the bill recently within the House of Commons, but uh, it was delayed due to obviously everything that's going on right now and the limited parliamentary time. And now there's a sort of big question of 
what happens next with the bill, because there's been a huge amount of criticism from certain parts of the Conservative Party that this could infringe on people's freedom of speech. They think that it's, um, to quote sort of Kemi Badenoch, who was also putting a hat in the ring to become the next leader, we're legislating for people's hurt feelings. There's a lot of criticism that it's just is going too far. It's overstepping what government should be doing. And both Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak have expressed support for the bill to some extent, but also concerns that, yes, this could actually infringe on people's freedom of speech. And so we think there's about four ways in which the bill could go now, that it's withdrawn entirely, which would seem unlikely considering the amount of time and parliamentary uh, uh, pressure that has gone into making this bill come to fruition. We think that provisions around legal but harmful material could be removed. So again, sort of making it more sort of focused on illegal harms as opposed to ones which are just harmful but not necessarily illegal. Or there could be more provisions to protect freedom of speech, uh, which seems quite likely, or the bill just continues as it is. And with both these candidates, it seems likely that there will be more sort of focus on this protection of freedom of speech. Okay. Uh, Thanks, Josh. So sounds like we're going to see some quite material changes to the online safety bill regardless of of who wins. But it's not the only controversial bill in the government's agenda, is it? We've got the potential media bill. Um, The media bill is designed to do a couple of things, most notably to privatise Channel 4, which is a public service broadcaster in the UK. And the other is to introduce new regulatory requirements on streaming services such as Amazon Prime or Disney Plus or Netflix. The controversial bit is is Channel 4, not really the regulation of uh, streaming services. Do you expect that bill to also go ahead or do you expect to see major changes or is it something that we may never see? Yeah. So again, the media bill has been a very contentious piece of legislation as well. And there's been real pushback from across the political spectrum, from celebrities, from actors, content creators, saying that the sale of Channel 4 and its privatization will be a real loss for public service broadcasting and have a real impact on the public. And there's been a bit of a question mark recently as to whether this was just a pet project of Boris Johnson, Nadine Dorries, and whether either candidate would look to continue with this uh, proposal. And both candidates have actually proposed public, have actually been in support of public service broadcasting recently, especially around the issues of Ukraine, speaking about how important it was that the BBC was reporting accurately on this. But what we've seen now is that Rishi Sunak has actually said that he's fully in favour of this and he wants to sell off Channel 4. And he's published a piece uh, explaining why he thinks this would be uh, such an important thing to allow Channel 4 to compete with a lot of its streaming competitors, such as Netflix or Disney+. Plus. Uh, interestingly, Liz Trust hasn't said anything as of yet, but con- considering one of her key supporters is Nadine Dorries, and she's been one of the key proponents of the, the media bill and the sale of Channel 4, I'd be quite surprised if she didn't come along out with similar lines. Now, whether this will be a priority for them once they once one of them becomes prime minister is a bigger question, I think, with the ongoing uh, cost of living crisis, with Ukraine, with a lot bigger issues sort of on their plate. I'm not sure if this is going to be a sort of immediate concern for either candidate. And there's also just a lot within that bill that isn't very controversial. Bringing streaming platforms under sort of regulatory oversight is something that I think a lot of people sort of welcomed and said was, was about time. But it'll be interesting to see come the autumn whether this is one of their sort of key policies that they look to push forward before we get to that election in around 2024. 
Agomba, let's just change tack slightly. I want to hop back across the Atlantic and just get a bit of a transatlantic flavor to the discussion. As I said earlier, Liz Truss is renowned for her pro-American views. She's renowned for being a major skeptic of China. So she aligns quite closely with some of the dynamics that you described earlier that dominate uh, discourse within DC. She would quite obviously love to deliver a trade agreement with the US. However, the problem she faces is that her position on Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol in particular are difficult for someone like President Biden to agree with and therefore allow a US trade deal to pass while that issue remains unresolved. So she's not probably going to get a trade agreement if she becomes prime minister, at least not until the year of electoral change in 2024. So you can imagine a scenario where she starts looking for alternative wins, so to speak, that she can then sell back as a Brexit dividend, something she has achieved that she will sell as something that wouldn't have been possible necessarily while the UK was part of the EU. An obvious candidate here is around data transfers. Clearly, the government would be keen, and I suspect this is the case under Rishi Sunak as well, to conclude a data transfer agreement with the US. Can you just give the US perspective on that? Do you see many chances of the UK and the US agreeing a data transfer framework? Yeah. So the the chances of the US and UK establishing a formal data transfer mechanism are quite high for several reasons, including that they are two like-minded countries. But also, a data transfer mechanism is a benefit for both businesses and consumers on both sides. But such an agreement is unlikely to happen before the US and the EU set up a new transatlantic data transfer framework, which is meant to replace the privacy shield that was invalidated in 2020. Um, There is a lot of pressure in the US to ensure the safe flow of European data across the Atlantic. Big tech companies continue to face challenges operating in the EU and have been reliant on standard contractual clauses to transfer data. But the reliance on standard contractual clauses is now being threatened by Ireland's Data Protection Commission, which is essentially proposing to halt Facebook and Instagram from transferring personal data from the EU to the the US. Um, It's increasingly looking likely that US and EU negotiators will finish the new data transfer framework either later this year, though more likely in the first quarter of next year. Um, And it's highly likely that the UK will have to wait until that's wrapped up. Okay. So unfortunately for for Liz Truss, she can't quite escape the shadow of the, the European Union, even when negotiating directly with the United States. But assuming that the EU and the US can agree their own data transfer mechanisms, it's quite plausible that the UK and the US uh, will do the same. So that will uh, be good news uh, in 10 Downing Street should she uh, win the contest. Josh, let's let's conclude the discussion. Um, we've just been talking about data transfer frameworks, and we were talking earlier about the federal privacy law. But what's the future of the UK's GDPR? We've got this very confusing situation where the Johnson government have just tabled a bill in Parliament, but they're not going to be around for when that bill has to go through the legislative process. At the same time, we've got Rishi Sunak writing op-eds in the Daily Telegraph calling for the reform of the GDPR as if 
this wasn't already happening. So we sort of have two entirely separate but parallel conversations going on about the same thing. And I, I'm personally quite confused. Can you just explain, not only to the listeners, but to me, what, what exactly is going on here? Yeah, it's quite odd, isn't it, really, that on the very sort of eve of uh, leaving office, you suddenly drop this very important and in some ways quite controversial bill for your uh, successor to have to deal with. But uh, effectively, the Data Protection and Digital Information Bill, which really rolls off the tongue, was presented to Parliament. And this is all about sort of refocusing and redesigning how the UK's um, data protection systems work. And it's not sort of a incredible divergence from what we've seen before. And it's one of those bills which for some has been seen as uh, like not ambitious enough, not pushing the boat out far enough. And as you've, you were just mentioning with the op-ed that Rishi Sunak has written, he wants the most uh, dynamic data protection regime in the world and is sort of really pushing to get those sort of Brexit dividends and make it a sort of more pro-business and easier place for data to be shared where it is actually effective to share that information. So whether that's sort of combating crime, whether that's sort of improving data systems. But yes, it'll be really interesting to see what actually happens when the bill uh, is considered within Parliament, because there is quite a good chance that whenever this next candidate is selected as Prime Minister, they could just simply pull the bill for now, amend it, change it quite dramatically. Um, but I think something that really underpins this and all of the questions that we've discussed today is the question of who the next DCMS secretary would be, because that will also have quite a lot of influence over where the online safety bill, the digital markets unit, and this data protection and digital information bill go. Um, so we're sort of quite keenly looking out to see who are the sort of key supporters of each of these two candidates and where do they also stand on some of these digital issues, because it could be the case that they become a sort of real key voice and key pusher for this bill and the sort of other digital issues that we've discussed today. So I think if we take that in summary, we've got two major points of political change, which are going to shape how tech regulation plays out in both the US and the UK but they're slightly different in their nature. As you just described, Josh, the UK issue is one of personality. There's not a massive structural change in how legislation can get through. We would expect that the next government will be able to pass, by and large, most of what it actually wants to do. But it's a preference of individual personalities may change the priorities of what that government decides to table and decides to push through and in what form. On the US side of things, it's more of a structural change. The wholesale change of who controls Congress could mean that the administration is impaired in what it can actually achieve, and they're quite different in their nature. On the other hand, we obviously have the European Union, which until the the change of the European Commission and the European Parliament in 2024 is plowing ahead in driving reform, which ultimately could affect both jurisdictions. Because let's say neither the UK or the US come forward with rules around ex-ante regulation around competition for tech platforms, the Digital Markets Act will still be there. So what happens if the European Commission stops Amazon, for instance, self-preferencing its own products uh, on the marketplace, and that Amazon has to apply that in Europe? Or will they then just simply just apply the same practices corporately to both the US and the UK? We've seen with the GDPR that actually where Europe has set rules, they've largely sort of set the standards for corporate policies globally. So we may see uh, the same happening here. So anyway, I'd like to thank uh, thank both Agoma and Josh. Uh, that was a great discussion, and I look forward to having you back on the podcast in a future episode. And to those who are listening, uh, thanks for joining. And 
as I say at the end of every single podcast, if you, your business, or your investment are exposed to these political developments we talked about, either in Washington, D.C. or in London, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. You can find our contact details and our uh, our backgrounds on our website at www.global-council.com, or you can find it via the link in the podcast notes. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.